Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my dude? Hey, man, what's going on? Pretty good. I've had a fun week. I went to a concert for the first time in, like, years. Crazy boy. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> well... To you, it may be lame, but to me, it, it's very nostalgic. I went to the uh, Let the Bad Times Roll Tour mm-hmm. that The Offspring is doing. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah, so it was, it was them, uh, Sum 41, Simple Plan. Yeah. I got to relive my high school pop punk mm-hmm. phase mm-hmm. with some old friends from high school. So that was super fun. Shout out to them, Daniel and Jeremiah. Love you, dudes. Awesome. It was a good time. So everybody had a good time. No mm-hmm. bad trips. No. <laughs> Did you crowd surf? No. <laughs> I'm uh, uh these these days I'm the like you know kind of in the back just vibing yeah yeah at the metal shows I'm the dude that just like stands on the edge of the mosh yeah you know I'll pick someone up if they fall but other than that I'm not getting in that shit I'm too old for that good lord I break something even uh, even when I was younger like at one of the warp tours I got into the pit for some heavier like more hardcore band and. Mm-hmm. I was like right in the thick of it. And at that point I was like, okay, this is not for me. This yeah. is too much. You know immediately if it's for you or not. Yeah. I'm cool for like uh, like the skate punk bands and like ska bands and stuff. It's like you're you're all there and you're kind of just like pogo jumping up and yeah. down. I'm sure. cool for that. But sure. Yeah. There's some stranger no. hugging you because he's just so damn happy. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm cool for that. But, but otherwise I'm a little bitch and I, I can't do the whole like fighting the fit thing. That's great. No, nothing is better than that communal love at mm-hmm. a punk or metal show. Oh, yeah. You know? And it, it was a good crowd, a good vibe, good awesome. everything. Yeah, very L- cool. Lots of that. Just I felt the good energy, and I hadn't been to a concert in so long. I was like, oh, this is. I had convinced myself like, oh, I don't need to go to concerts because why, why, why bother? But man, sometimes it's just a good mm-hmm. time being there and feeling the energy and seeing the band live. It's, for sure, for sure. It's a great time, awesome. So today, we are concluding the genre exposure summer of love. <laughs> if one can call it that, love is what we're calling it. Hmm? Some might call it that. Our crazy odyssey through the Nakatsu Rowan porno series, their stab at doing the big budget studio version of a pink film. Mm-hmm. We've, it's, it's been an experience. It's been an experience. We uh, skewed a little horror first with Zoom Up, Rape Sight, and then we went into more of like a pure erotic film with a lot of comedy elements with yeah. Flowered Snake, which was surprising. And I think with your pick here, Jason, Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunter from oh. 1979. Directed by legendary Norifumi Suzuki, you've kind of hit a blend of both of the prior films, in a way. Yeah, although, and we'll get into it, but Mm. this one is not nearly as funny. No. I think this is what, I think if one were to think of a pink film, especially one that's a little bit more toward the sadomasochism, Mm -hmm. this is exactly what they would envision. Right. So yeah, what uh, Flower and Snake was seventy four, and so this one's seventy nine. So we can see that in the intervening years they've had. This is now they've ratcheted up. Yeah, we got to do more. We got to make it more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll find that out. We'll, we'll get into all of that. that. But of yeah. course, first we're going to talk about what we've been watching. Yeah, and um, I have a little shout out. Okay, you know we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. And we yeah. love it, and there's all kinds of other cool shows out there you could be listening to, besides us. They're probably better, if I'm honest, but uh, <laughs> thanks for listening anyways. Um, and so I just wanted to highlight some of those and like what they've been doing recently, at least the ones I regularly listen to and enjoy a lot, because why not share some love? So mm-hmm. I noticed that um, Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe, they recently did an episode on Ghost of Mars. 
which is fucking awesome, and I applaud them for that. Wow. <laughs> that wow. is, um, you know, one of the movies of all time, and it sure is a film. <laughs> it, it is a film. And I'm internally intrigued about the fact that that was supposed to be like a, like, in-universe with, like, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. <laughs> before they kind of had to, like, shuffle it around. Yeah. Mm. Um, not a good movie, but I do thoroughly enjoy it, so... Yeah, I can't even enjoy it on that kind of a level. I just, um, oof. And it, it's always wonderful to hear people talk about it, I think. I, I wish we could just forget <laughs> it, but, you know, that's fine. Um, and then, of course, Unsung Horrors, which we're champions of here. They've been doing their whole Shagas thing that they do every year. Mm. Going through a bunch of Shaw Brothers films. Nice. They've done some good horror ones this time, so I've been padding out my watch list thanks to that. Nice. So those are good to swing around for if you're into the whole Shaw Brothers stuff or you're like me. And you're sort of a neophyte on that, mm-hmm. and you need a little guidance on what to what to dig in for. Cool, because it is vast and it is deep. It is. There's a lot of great stuff there. And the if you're a collector like me, uh, the Blu-ray sets are coming fast and furious. I'm already like four box sets deep that I need to watch, and I haven't. So, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Man, it's it? like those arrow sets started, then everyone's like, "Oh, we gotta get a piece of the pie mm-hmm. on this." What what Shaw Brothers movies do nobody want that we can make a box set out of? <laughs> um, and the movie defenders. I don't think we've talked about them in a while. Hmm. Um, I always like that they sort of try to find the positive and the good in every every film. And they started a Discord for their show. Oh, cool. So if you want to find some cool people to hang out with and chat about movies, go look into that. Ooh, maybe we should do that. We should rip them off to our own Discord. I don't know if we have a following <laughs> enough for that. It's, it'll just be you, and me, like and Michael. Oh, Michael might not even join. It'll just be you and me and then like two or three other people. Hey, man. got to start somewhere. <laughs> one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> Every movement begins with a few brave people. <laughs> Um, which is probably a thing that the main character in Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunter, might say. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Yow! Nice. All right, what have you been watching? I watched a movie called The Wonder. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I wonder what it's about. <laughs> but don't. Um, it is about a tale of two strangers who transform each other's lives. A psychological thriller and a story of love pitted against evil. Wow, that 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 mm. summation I just read that I, I didn't reread it or pre-read it, but that does not okay. So Florence Pugh, okay. who has been in the news lately because she is rightly proud of her body. Why shouldn't she be? <laughs> I mean, um, I'm proud of her body. Yeah, too, I, so. <laughs> I got no problem with it whatsoever. Uh, she is the lead, and she plays a nurse who goes to Ireland. She's mm-hmm. British. She goes to Ireland in the 1850s, right after the whole famine. Um, to watch over a girl who has not eaten for four months. Ooh. So they're thinking, mm. oh, this is a miracle. There's a nun who's taken her opposite shift, so someone's always there watching. So she starts investigating what's going on. Mm. Hmm. Um, it's a good movie. It's it's uh, It's not something like you must see this, but if you've got nothing else going on for a couple hours and you like period dramas, you like Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. We were, you're giving me these tags and it's like period drama, psychological thriller, Florence Pugh. I mean, I'm in for all of this. Awesome. So. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good looking movie. It's very gorgeous. It's got some really good interior photography. Very mm-hmm. moody. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I think if, if, you, if you're into like religious films and period pieces and the psychology therein. 
I think you would really dig it. Oh, okay. So where where can you watch this? It's on Netflix. Oh, nice. So it's easily accessible. Well, slapping it on the watch list. Mm-hmm. You could uh, maybe after this, you could watch that new show One Piece that's on Netflix. I have, I have <laughs> to, a report to make about that. So please do. Uh, do you have another film or anything? No, that's all I got. Right uh, now. Got any updates for us on Ahsoka? Um, the third season was a little slower, but I'm still there with it. Okay. I'm enjoying it. Is it the best thing ever? No, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm liking it. I'm digging cool. it. All right, cool. So I've got two things to talk about. Uh, I'll hit you with some bad. I'll hit you with some good. Okay. First one, uh, I'm sad to report on this one. So I finally watched Cocaine Bear. Okay. It was late at night the other night, and uh-huh. uh, Tiffany wanted to watch it, and it's streaming now. Uh-huh. Say on, is it on Prime, maybe, or Hulu, or it's one of those? yeah. It's easy to get at. But uh, yeah, we were like, oh, we should finally watch this, because we missed it in theaters. Kind of glad I missed it in theaters, because I'm going to be honest, like... When you watch the trailer, right, it's a certain type of movie. Yeah. I yeah. think you know if you're going to like it or not. And I thought I might because I saw, like, one of two possibilities. Like, possibility one is it's legitimately a really funny movie that just happens to be low budget. Mm-hmm. Or possibility B is that it wanted to be a really funny movie, but it's really bad. But in a bad way where it's like it's so bad it's funny. Uh-huh. And it still works. Right, right. Uh, and it was not either of those things. No? Okay. No. Um, very very weird in a way where like there was a lot of like plot details and like character stuff going on that was like way too much for this kind of film mm-hmm. and like people just like referencing like they're, they're they were literally just like barfing out their relationships and their connections to people it is not a subtle film no um <laughs> and you know i mean the cg bear looks bad but it was like it was never okay so like uh let me see like like a bird demic right mm-hmm. that's so bad it's funny and this one was like it wasn't bad enough to be funny, but it also wasn't good enough to be good on the visuals. Sure. So it was just kind of there. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and you and I have talked about this before, like the whole like idea of stopping a movie. And you've done it before. You've talked about it. Mm-hmm. And my stance has always kind of been, you know, I'll never stop a movie. Because why? If I'm already in a little bit, I'm just going to keep going. No, oh, no, 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 no. So probably for the first time in like 20 years, we, we stopped this movie not even quite halfway through. Wow. And just gave up on it. Okay, so you didn't finish it. No. I uh, was not amused, was not entertained. <laughs> wow. Uh, if, okay. If you dug it, I'm glad you dug it, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it, but it, it was not for me. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, I, I found it diverting enough when I saw it. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't, oh my God, this is the funniest thing ever, and it wasn't, this is the worst <laughs> thing ever. It had very, it had peaks and valleys, and the peaks were never that high. Yeah. Yeah, that's, but that's fair. <laughs> for me, the valleys were never too low to just turn it off. Oh, God, they were you know? for me. Yeah. Like, I think the most I was intrigued was when it was the little kids, and they find the brick of cocaine. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Right. But then everyone else, I was just like, fuck these guys. Yeah. No, I, I get your criticism, and mm. I think it's perfectly valid. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the sort of movie you want to see with people and having a few beers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. It, the joke's in the title. You know you know what you're getting. Yeah. Everything's in the trailer. Yeah. Mm. It's one of Ray Liotta's last movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little saddened to itself, but, you know. Oh. Okay. So now I'm going to hit you with some good. Okay. Which may be burying the lead a little bit a little bit. So I checked out some of the new One Piece live action adaptation from Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know anything about anime at all, One Piece is one of the biggest and most enduring and beloved animes of all time. Kind of a lot of writing on this live action adaptation because 
that's sort of a thing that's trying to become like a, you know, we take anime and adapt them now into live action things. Especially and, Netflix. Especially Netflix. That seems like a viable little like money direction for them to go in. You think Cowboy Bebop may have. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Cowboy Bebop was the big like dip the toe in the water on that. And um, I guess it's fair to say opinions were mixed. Um, if you ask me, it was complete dumpster fire that failed to even understand what was charming about Cowboy Bebop. Well, but, I think uh, I think the fact that it didn't get a second season yeah. speaks volumes. You know, mm. yeah. No matter how much they tried to pay every outlet to <laughs> talk about how it was bold and innovative and improved on the anime, yeah. um, surprise, surprise, it was not good. So that leaves us with one piece, right? Not only is it maybe harder to adapt because to me, like Cowboy Bebop was like a softball throw, right? It's so. It's basically like a the right director right. and cast should should hit it out of the park. Um, yeah, we know that Star Wars exists. We know that Firefly exists. Cowboy Bebop is like somewhere in the realm of mm. like the the outer edges of Star Wars and Firefly. Right. Um. So theoretically, you could do that, and mm. it would work, and it would be fine. So then, One Piece is even crazier, right? Because you've got this like sort of fantasy Age of Pirates setting. You've got people with all sorts of weird supernatural powers and like over the top anime bullshit that they do. Mm-hmm. So that's even harder. That's more special yeah. effects budget. That's that's more everything. And then just the scope of the story and the world and the characters and everything else. It's such a much more daunting thing to adapt. And we've also seen in the past when a show like this does get an adaptation, you just have to rewind the clock a little bit and you get Dragon Ball Evolution, mm. which is one of the, the cringiest and just most saddest things to ever exist. I heard bad things. Oh, yeah. Oof. So then it's like, where does this fall? How does it chart out? Right. And I'm proud to say that I actually think it is not only just very good, but extremely good. Really? Okay, I'm it's, shocked. I thought you'd be shitting all over it. It's super faithful to the source material. Okay. Now, it, the one criticism I'll give it is that it's very rushed. But, I mean, that's that's going to happen, right? So their first season adapts the first season of what would be the anime's, you know, first. So in the anime, that was like 50, I want to say 54 episodes or something. Damn. And that's like, you know, the 20, 25 minute episodes. And they adapt that in eight hour episodes. Okay. Well, there's got to be some fat mm-hmm. to cut from right. those 54 episodes. It's quite mm-hmm. a lot. And if you are a One Piece anime fan, then you probably know, like me, that most of those episodes start with like five to 10 minutes of recap. So, wow. Okay. Got, a, got a lot of room to spare there. But no, no. I mean, it is a little rushed. It does, you do feel that pacing of like, it's just like, boom, next thing, boom, next thing, boom, next thing, boom, next thing, just boom, 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 mm-hmm. hitting all the beats. But yeah. it's never so fast that you can't understand it if you haven't seen the source material. Okay. So this would be a good way for someone to watch mm-hmm. the story, not having to see the cartoon. Maybe they're not interested in anime. Right. Maybe they don't have the time to spend to watch the entire show, which, I mean, how many episodes are there? <sighs> we're we're multi-hundreds at this point. So. <laughs> right. Um, and that's where I think there's the value in this is that this you can watch this and then did you really like really really like it? Well then, surprise for you, there are book upon book upon book of manga or just endless hours of anime that if you want to go deeper, you can check out that version and see okay. like the full yeah. like you know character depth and all the backstories and everything else. Sure. Um, well, there's some people that just will not watch a cartoon. Right. You know, it doesn't matter, especially some in America. Are that way. Yeah. Um, but I was amazed like they got all the effects right. And the casting was like, ooh, it's so perfect. And I think the big difference here compared to Cowboy Bebop is like, with Cowboy Bebop, um, the original director, kind of creator of it, um, Shinichiro Watanabe, he made some comment about like how he gave his blessing and he thought they were doing a good job or something. It, it seemed very much like a PR speak kind of oh, thing. Right, sure. Um, so I don't think he was actually that involved. Mm-hmm. With One Piece, 
Ichiro Oda, the creator of the manga, he was involved like every step of the process. Okay. They were bouncing ideas off of him because they were being like, hey, we have to like trim this down. We were thinking of doing like this and this. What do you think? And he'd be like, hmm, well, maybe you could try it this way. Every person they cast for the central cast, like the main characters, they ran by him and mm. got him to sign off on. And that's one of the things, like if you look, it's a very multicultural cast. And it actually came from Oda because he was like, hey, if you look at my manga, they all kind of look just like the same really because that's just my manga art style. But right. he, when I conceived it, I imagined each of them were like a different ethnicity from around the world. So if you could cast to that, that would be like the best way to realize that in live action. So you're saying this live action show is woke. <laughs> it's actually, but in a way that's like, it, it's good. It's like, it's what he wanted in a way, almost. Um, and apparently, How dare they cast a bunch of different Apparently episodes. even some of the like plot changes they made were ones that he pitched at them to do. So that's cool too. Um, cool. But I really wanted to highlight um, Anaki Godoy, who plays Luffy, the main character. He is like so perfect to embody that character. And I think there's there's even a meme going around of like him smiling really really big, and it was from this like behind the scenes thing where he got to sit down and talk to Oda, and he actually said like you are the perfect Luffy. I could never imagine anyone else playing this role. Nice, which is like a huge compliment to come from the creator right. of the series. Yeah. Um, if you don't know it, it is a like shonen-y style manga anime where it's like in the vein of like Dragon Ball or Naruto or any of those where it's like a big long ever going quest, and it's in this world where it's like the age of pirates and. They're all seeking to find this great treasure called the One Piece, and you follow Monkey D. Luffy, who's just random kind of no-name kid who dreams of finding that treasure and becoming the greatest pirate in the world, and ha by happenstance sort of recruits different crew members, each with their own backstory, and they sort of become a, become a pirate crew and set on adventure. So if this becomes popular... Does that mean I'm going to get my Pirates of Dark Water live action adaptation? <laughs> I don't know how many people remember that besides us, so probably not. I bet but there's a lot of people out there that remember Pirates of Dark Water. It's awesome. Dude, Pirates of Dark Water is dope. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, like they get they get the action right. They get even like so Luffy's thing is that he there's this thing in the setting called I'm not going to explain everything, but yeah. there's this thing in the setting called Devil Fruits, and if you eat them, they give you like a supernatural power. So he's eaten one that makes his body into rubber. So a lot of his attacks involve like stretching or like he'll wind back up and throw a big punch and it's like super strong because of the stretching ability. Sure. And I was surprised how good they managed to make that look for the budget. Because hmm. again, it's not like... It's like a Roger Corman Fantastic Four <laughs> yeah, live action. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's better than that. And they're not throwing around like, you know, LucasArts money or anything. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. I was well, very impressed. I'll check it out then. You've sold me. Worth I, I wasn't watch. sure. I was going to get your opinion before I... Especially if you're like, I've never even encountered One Piece at all. I think it's a good sample mm -hmm. just to get a feel for it. Cool. Awesome. Yep. So resounding praise from me, which says a lot. Other anime fans out there, do you agree with Dustin? Do you disagree? Let us know. You should agree. I'm going to say this. If you thought Cowboy Bebop was an excellent adaptation and you think this one is bad... Mm -hmm. There is something wrong with you. <laughs> you, you, should go, you should go get help. It's okay. People <laughs> have problems. You. It's fine, but, <laughs> but no. All right. All right, so today, to wrap up our Roman porno escapade, we are talking about Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunter from 1979, directed by the Norifumi Suzuki. Indeed. Shall so I hit you with the synopsis that's on IMDb? Sure, yes. Okay. Let's start there. That's a good <clears> spot. 
Spurred by a fascination with Holocaust atrocities and his rapist biological father, a wealthy student secretly abducts and subjects women to acts of sexual torture. That's, that's pretty succinct. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. But it that does make it sound worse. And, and don't get me wrong, this movie's kind of rough. Mm-hmm. But it, it made me expect something worse than what we got. I think so, yeah. It kind of had the same effect as like the the legacy of Flower and Snake. I had a certain thought going in. Mm-hmm. And then the synopsis of this one, it did the same thing to me where I had a certain thought in my mind going right. in. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like, this never veers into Nazi exploitation, which mm-hmm. I thought it was going to. Which is interesting. We probably need to get into that a little bit, but... Um, yeah, we do. We should do a block on that eventually. <laughs> Sometime. <laughs> um, so we'll start with genre, and then i get a little background. So what genre is this one, besides being a, a pink film, an erotic film? And... That's just... I think this is, like, the probably the ultimate pink film, you know? <laughs> um, but, I mean, drama, obviously. Um psychological thriller oh, for you could sure. probably apply that to it for sure um, but no. I think I think of the three that we've watched this is the most trying to be exploitation and erotica mm-hmm. you know for sure so IMDB also lists horror and I think that's fair but I'm going to add a little caveat to that and that caveat is gothic horror but not enough Perhaps I no. wanted more, and we'll we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about those elements as we go. Yeah, and then I we wanted to bring it up is like, should we give this the extreme tag? You and I were talking about that as we were setting up our equipment, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think you said it was borderline, mm-hmm. and I agree with that. I, I think if you haven't delved into a lot of the more extreme films out there, this is definitely one that mm-hmm. can fit For that sure. category. But again, I I expected worse than what we were going to get. Yeah, if you're deeper into extreme cinema. And then you come to this, you're, you're going to be fine, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, we should say, we, we said it for the whole block back yeah. on the first one, but, you know, uh, content warning on this. Right, yes. A lot of rape, a lot of humiliation, a lot of abuse, Nazi imagery and idolizing going on on the part of one of the characters in the film. Yes, it is not for the faint of heart. Very reprehensible. Um, know your limits, know what you're cool with. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's a lot of interesting stuff here going on as far as the construction of the film and other elements. So I, I do think there's value here. It's not like, if you go looking at reviews of this, you're going to find people that are like, one star, this is worthless trash. This is not trash. And I think that's very unfair. This is too well made to be trash. Mm-hmm. So, let's this, get into it, This man. is kind of the epitome of that whole statement about pink films in general, that's like, you had this medium, but within that medium, you had so much freedom that you could really play with right. all the elements of filmmaking. Yeah. So yeah. First, first, I want to talk about the director. Okay. So, Norifumi Suzuki was born in 1933 in Shizuoka. He dropped out of Ritsu Meikan University's Department of Economics and then joined Toei's Kyoto Studio as assistant director in 1956. And he worked under some other notable directors like Masahiro Makino, Tai Kato, and Tomo Uchida. He made his first screenwriting debut on Kokichi Uchide's 1963 film Zoku. Tenemonia Sandogasa. Uh, he made his directorial debut a few years later with Osaka Dokonjo Monogatari Dora Yatsu. Sounded good. Yeah. So, it's quite the <laughs> title for a film, which I am not familiar with, so I can't really talk much about it. Um, 
at the behest of Toei, uh, he wrote the script for a female gambler film. This was like a popular style kind of in the 60s that they had where it would be sort of like feudal era and it would focus on like a, a, a gangster woman mm. or a gambler that would get mixed up with the Yakuza and stuff like that. Um, and he wrote the script for a very popular one from 1968 called Red Peony Gambler. And that starred Junko Fuji. And it became a huge hit and became this series of eight sequels that just continued on. Okay. Um, and then he's got his own series of films that he directed that became super popular starting in 1975 with Toraku Yaro. All of those starred uh, Bunta Sugawara, a very famous actor, which actually has a cameo in this film, ah. which I'm sure was due to the connection there. Um, after working on some further films with Toei up until 1984, he eventually left and became a freelancer and just was going to work with whoever, wherever. Um, at 1985, at the Yokohama Film Festival, he was awarded a special prize for his career and his contribution to filmmaking. And then the last film he ever released was Benbari High School in 1990, which was produced by a well-known individual, Koji Wakamatsu. Um, after that, he never really made any more films, but um, is what it is, you know. Mm. Now, he has several films that I would say are notable for us here at Genre Exposure. Probably the top one is his non-sploitation film, School of the Holy Beast. Oh, I've heard of that one. I haven't seen it yet, though. Um, that also draws on a lot of like Christian concepts and imagery, like Star of David. So that's an interesting through line between two of his films. And then he was also known for some of the Toei Pinky Violence films that he directed. Uh, really notable is Sex and Fury, which is quite popular. And then he did several of the uh, Sukiban-themed Pinky Violence films, where it's like the delinquent girl boss sort of characters. And that included films like Girl Boss Gorilla and Terrifying Girls High School Lynch Law Classroom. Mm. Now on some of those, he got to actually direct Miki Sugimoto as the star in those films. And, like, we've had our Queens of Roman Porno. So if you go over into the Toei Pinky Violence world, they also had their Queens of Pinky Violence. Miki Sugimoto was probably one of the top of that. And she was really known for playing those Sukiban-type characters. Um, and then one of her all-time famous roles was the lead in Zero Woman Red Handcuffs. Oh, that's pretty which I, years, I have brought it? up yeah. continually mm -hmm. <laughs> over the years of this show. That's another one I haven't watched yet. I need to... Oh. And one more little background thing I want to lay down before we go to the film. There's another name attached to this movie that ties back to our podcast. No. Did you recognize it when you were browsing through? No. So this film is written in part by Atsushi Yamatoya. He is the one who wrote and directed Inflatable Sex Doll of the Wastelands. Oh, no. How did which that may know suddenly that? make you think about a lot of the things in this plot where you're like, whoa. Okay. Um, and then, of course, also he worked heavily with Seijun Suzuki and scripted Branded to Kill, which is one of his most famous films. And he wrote some for Toei on their Pinky Violence series. Notably, he wrote uh, Sex Hunter, which was the third film in the Stray Cat Rock series. Okay. All right. So, yeah, a lot of pedigree on this film. I did not know. Awesome. Okay, but I guess let's get to the film now. Let's do it. Actually move through things and talk about it. Yeah. It opens, as any good movie should. On a dark and stormy night. <laughs> yes. 
It's a rainy night. Uh, we see this man. He's approaching like this big gate. It's obviously like a gate to a house. Yeah, like a big mansion sort of deal. Yeah, you hear sirens blaring. He's jumping the gate. And this dude is sweat embodied. Yeah. He's just really sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> really, really unhinged. Yes. Um, and we find out on a radio broadcast that we sor- shortly hear that he is an escaped murderer and rapist named um, Ginpei. Yes, Ginpei Hirokawa. Yes. Played by Shohei Yamamoto. And you got to give him props for this role because he... He, he goes he went, nuts. He goes there. He's crazy. Yeah. Um, and we see a plaque about this manor too. It's the uh, Geno family. No, that's right. Yes. And instantly he has this couple tied up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So clearly a husband and wife. Yep. He's asking for money. Uh, he's wanting to know where the safe is. <laughs> and as he's going around looking around getting the money from the safe, he catches the wife trying to make a phone call. She's all tied up, and she's got like a pin okay, in her mouth. Okay, she is very fucking resourceful. Because to get, get the pin and do that, she almost gets the call off. She you. almost gets it, yeah, because it's the old rotary phone, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's taken her a while, painfully long time. <laughs> so he comes out, finds her. Oh, before this too, I wanted to talk about a line that Gen, uh, Genpei says. Oh, right, yes, yeah. yes. Um, as he's kind of you know fleecing them for the money, and the um, the husband is like protesting, which we later learn he is um, Yasuhisa Chino, I believe is his name. Yeah, he's a professor. Yeah, played by Hiroshi Nawa. He's a professor, and Genpei tells him, "Well, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. You served in the war just like I did." Yeah. And then, for whatever reason, this is a dumb move on his part, but the professor admits, like, I didn't go, actually. I got exempt from it. At university. He was at school. And Genpei says to him, so you were snug in your lab while I crawled through the mud in China. Yeah. And he gets, like, real hateful toward yeah, him. Yeah, that pisses that, him off. Which may lead to what ends up happening. Yes. <laughs> so after Genpei finds the wife trying to make a phone call, he does what happens in these movies mm-hmm. and assaults her. And this is where we really get, like, the sweat cam on him because... It's like as the rage builds in him, they do this nice zoom in on his face. And the dude, just like every inch of his face has droplets of sweat on it. Yeah. And you can see like his eyes are just fucking insane in that moment. It reminds me of the boss from the previous movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Just the way he is like contorted. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like his lust has deformed him somehow. (laughs) He just. He's like inhuman almost. Yeah. 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 Um, There's some artful blocking here. Because the husband's tied up and gagged, he, he's kind of forced to watch what's going on. But they have like his the back of his head is in front of like the cross region. Yeah, the genitalia yeah. they won't show in Japanese cinema. Um, this made me think more of Zoom Up Rape Site, where they got some really clever like we're going to show absolutely as much as we can, right? But stop right at the line. Yeah, but I mean, it's literally putting it in his face. Yeah, it's very um, <laughs> humiliating, demeaning, right? Sort of uh, scenario to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but he spares them. He does. Uh, yeah. But the storm intensifies and the power goes out. Mm-hmm. And he's con- continuing to watch them. And it, it does seem like the wife has begun to enjoy herself. Yeah. And then as it kind of skips on, we get a bit of like narration from the professor. Mm-hmm. And he talks about his wife a little bit. He's making like a journal, he's a writing diary. A journal, yeah. And he talks about how his wife is from an aristocratic family, which again makes me think back to Flower and Snake. Oh, yeah. It's kind of that same archetypal character. Very modest family. Um, she's very shy and polite. But he says, I know she has these secret desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A uh, kink for uh, degeneration. <laughs> yep. He puts it. And then we cut to him whipping her. He's whipping her. But he can't <laughs> get the same reaction. Mm-hmm. 
that Genpei got, and it just pisses him off. And she says, don't hit me in the stomach because I'm pregnant. And the professor's like, shit, well, is it mine? You know, and he just keeps beating her harder <laughs> like an asshole. Yeah. Ugh. Then so, we get this cut where we get the sound of a baby crying and the logo pops in. Yep, we get the title card, baby crying. And Which, then we... We should maybe say here, if you go looking for this film, it's got a few different English translations yeah, going on. Right. Um, I think on Letterboxd, it's, the subtitle is Beautiful Girl Hunting mm-hmm. instead of Hunter. Right. So I don't know what the delineation is. Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunter is how you're going to find the Impulse Pictures release. Yes. So that's kind of what I went with. Yeah. Um, yeah, we get a title card, and then we see this young man engaging in different activities. He's like, you know, college age. Very attractive young man. Mm-hmm. Who is Tetsuya Chino, played by Shun Domo. Yes. Our, our main character of sorts. And he's very good. He's amazing in this film. Yeah. He, he's good at playing that psychopath because he'll shift between charming and, mm-hmm. and polite to sadistic and horrible on a dime. But, I mean, you, you see these movies like... Where the villain is supposed to be charming and seductive, but the mm-hmm. entire time you can just tell he's a creep. Yeah, but uh, you know, to me, Tatsuya doesn't come across that way. Like no, you no, would no. think he's like, if you didn't know this was a pink film, he could be like an action hero. You know, oh, yeah. he'd be Common Rider or something like that, right? <laughs> I don't gonna... think Common Rider's ever strayed this far. But... <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> um, um, but he's, he's he's visiting an elderly man and his daughter. Yep. This is um. Blah, 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 blah. He is uh, Takayuki, is his name. Takayuki, yes. He's a friend of the family. Yeah, so you, you get the impression that he is like a father figure to Tatsuya. You're not sure what's going on here yet. Mm-hmm. But he's wanting to sell some land and wants his advice. Yeah, he says that um, it's the anniversary of when his father passed away. Yep. And he wants to restore their family mansion and put it back in working order and make everything nice again. And he just wants to sell a little bit of the land that they own since they were so rich mm-hmm. and just put that toward it. Yeah, and there's some dialogue drop that Tetsuya's dad saved him during a storm on board a boat. Yep, there was a boating accident. We also meet Yumiko here, another one of the main characters. Who calls Tetsuya brother. Yep, she's played by Hiromi Namino. Now, my vast knowledge of BS anime, I immediately inferred the fact that they were probably childhood friends. Oh, sure. And grew up together, and that's why she calls him brother. Right. Because even her dad's like, you're too old to be calling him brother, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, she's great too. She's really good. Amazing really, actress. Yeah. Actually, most of the female characters in this film, like the actresses, are just well. They have to go. They have to yeah. run the gamut of all yeah. the emotions, <laughs> and they have to go through so much too. Yeah. Uh, so we get back. Uh, there's a funny, you know, there's a funny joke too because right now we don't really know a lot of the depravity that's going to come, but no. um, they make a joke about Yumiko like coming and working at his maid. All right. Yeah. At, at the manor and stuff. Yeah. Which is. Interesting setup. <laughs> uh, once Tatsuya is by himself, he's kind of talking to himself, and he's calling the man an old fool because mm-hmm. he's got so much more money than he thinks. Yep, he's he says like, he has nearly four billion yen. Yeah, and that he's only going to lose a small fraction of that to sell the land, and no one else will be the wiser. Mm-hmm. And we get some flashbacks to the professor. Beating Tetsuya up when he was a kid. Yeah, because the the old professor could never be quite sure whether it was his kid or Genpei's. But yeah. something about the way he looked, he was just like, it has to be the mm-hmm. rapist. It's not mine. And he's a real shit. 
He's terrible the kid to him. up, knocking him around, kicking him. There's even a scene where he says, "Those eyes, those are the eyes of a killer." Yeah. And also, um, and the mother's doing what she can to protect him, but but unfortunately, she's not spared from the abuse either. No. Um, we get a scene where the, he's brought in one of his students, I presume, and he's making the mother watch as he has sex with her. Yeah, she's kind tied of, up. Kind of in an inversion of the original scene from the start of the film. And Tetsuya sees this. Yeah. As a kid. And what we learn is that that was kind of the act that broke her, and so she committed suicide. Yeah, it's like a sharp cut, too. Mm, like, the yeah. music cuts out and everything. You just see her look kind of hunched over, and I think it's a pair of scissors, right? Mm-hmm. That she's, like, stabbed in her throat. It kind of looked like uh, the scissors you would use if you were doing, like, the flower cutting right. sort of stuff. Right, right. Um, but yeah, definitely the, some seppuku type imagery there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Really, really like like I said, emotionally powerful moment. I think. Yeah, because you're not expecting it; it mm-hmm. just happens. Because kind of like my first assumption was like, oh, I guess they both died in the boating accident, mm-hmm. and then you find out this little element to it, and it's like, whoa. Geez. Right. Um, but in the wake of this, he finds his father's diary. Yeah. And he reads through and he learns everything that's happened. He learns about the fact that this Genpei dude is probably his father. Mm-hmm. And basically the whole point of this diary was that the professor was, one, wanting to punish his wife more. And he was also in this back-and-forth struggle in his mind of, like, is Tatsuya going to be evil yeah. because of Genpei's genetically, like, inheriting that down to him? Right. It's basically the whole nature versus nurture yeah. argument. Yeah, I'm sure how he turned out has nothing to do with the way the professor was treating him the entire time. That's, that's, no. That won't have an adverse no, effect on him. It can't. And that's the problem with his whole... If this is even like his experiment, you've already fucked it up. Right, yeah. Your control should have been that you were nice and loving to him. Uh-huh. And then does he still go crazy from that? Yeah. Um, but interestingly, at the end of the journal, he decides to stop writing it. And he concludes that Tatsuya is good. He doesn't think genetics mm-hmm. matter to it. He's begun to like him. He's begun to like him even. He says he's, he's smart, he's kind, he's, he's loving, he's a good person. And he concludes that all people are initially good. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have to choose to start doing evil. Right. No matter how you treat them growing up, I guess. <laughs> but there's also pictures of his mother. Yeah. Trust up. Pasted in there, yeah. Notes. Which sets again some of that flower and snake mm-hmm. like imagery going on. Yeah. And he's got a line where Tetsuya says something about how he, he admires the people who created Auschwitz and dropped the A-bomb. Yeah. And now his real life is going to begin. I put this in my notes when I was watching the film. Oh, no, he's obsessed with Nazi ideology. <laughs> <laughs> Never a good thing. I don't, no, I don't no, care no. how you spin it. Yeah. It is not a good thing. <laughs> and so I guess here's where I'll, I'll intercut my gothic horror thing to talk about it. Because we have all the elements now, right? This manor. Is all dilapidated and old and ran down kind of looking. It's very Western. Very Western style. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see it coming up in the next scene, but um, he's got this whole like sex dungeon thing going on. Also very gothic with like just the way it's designed and laid out. He's got this creepy like iron mask helmet that's down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's like, um, I don't know if they're murals or like stained glass, yeah, but yeah. of like Christ. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Madonna and Child and different mm-hmm. areas and things like that. And then also a story element, right? So he's got this family secret that's kind of hanging over him. It's very, like, House of the House of Usher kind of thing going on. Yeah, all those elements are sort of swirling in the mix. Yeah, and that's what I wish it was more of. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Sure. 
So the next thing we see is that he's out on the street. He's got a fake beard on. Is that... He's got a fake beard. Looks pretty good on him, though. I he, think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he looks better than Al Pacino at a ball game. You know, so. um, and he runs up on a woman named Sayako. Mm-hmm. And he wants to bring her to the manor, and they need to have a chat about something. Yep. And we cut to them in uh, the manor, and they're you know having something have, to drink. Yeah, having a little brandy, I think it is. Yep. And turns out this is that student that slept with the professor. Yep. And Tatsuya basically reveals that um, there was this whole thing about keeping that affair silent. And she says, you know, well, I kept up my part of that yeah. bargain. And She's expecting some money now. Yeah. Her reward for being so good. Uh, but of course he drugged her brandy. Yes. <laughs> and this is where we then descend to that dungeon room. And I also put this in my notes as he begins to sort of like mess with her. This guy has things way more figured out than the dude from Flower and Steak. He does. He does. He's not. Yeah, he's he's been thinking about this for a while. Years, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but Seiko comes to and she tries to talk with Tatsuya, but he tells her that the professor was not his father, and he's the son of a killer. Mm-hmm. And he just begins to whip her. It's funny too because she teases him about being a virgin. Yeah. Because we find out that she's sort of like a hostess at a bar, mm-hmm. and that she's kind of slept around with all kinds of people. Yeah. I guess you can just tell. I don't know. <laughs> and and um, in the course of this, he drops a crazy line too. Where he's like, "From now on, my life will be like my true father." <laughs> right. But we also get a little more backstory too. That um, when his mom committed suicide, the professor paid off all the doctors to make it seem like she died of an illness. Right. So that he could hide the truth, and there wouldn't be any kind of scandal on their family. Yeah. And then we get a smash cut to him playing tennis mm-hmm. with with uh, Yumiko. Yeah. Yeah. And just like a good psycho, he has the perfect mask. Yep. No one would ever look at him and suspect him. Nope. Nope. Good-looking, affluent, you know, young man. Mm -hmm. But he's having a birthday party. Yep. And everyone's there. Yumiko there. Everyone is there. There's this bit about a girl sobbing uncontrollably. (laughs) Yeah, we learned that he's quite the playboy and that at his college, everyone is pining over him and wishing they could hook up with him and date him. Apparently, this one girl is uber distraught. Yeah. <laughs> she just keeps, like, she's drinking, like, a glass of brandy or something. <laughs> and she's just sobbing in the corner. <laughs> People are just ignoring her. And it's funny because Yumiko goes over to play the piano, which she's very good at. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's kind of like, oh, I think that's his fiance. I think that's right. who he's going to marry. Yeah. But while she's playing piano, he goes down to the cellar. Well, it's funny because he talks to um, her father, um, Takayuki. And he says, hey, I'm going to go get one of the really old bottles mm-hmm. from down in the cellar. I'll be right back. Yeah. I'll give you the good stuff. But when he gets down there, we see uh, <laughs> Seiko is just hanging there. Yeah, hanging from chains. This and guy upped his game. It's not just ropes anymore. It's got, he's got chains. chains and pulleys going yeah. on. And it also kind of mirrors the image of Jesus that's mm-hmm. behind her. Because, you know, his hands are kind of up like in the crucified position. And, yeah. You know, it looks a lot like she is. Uh, but he takes off his clothes... And then just straight up stabs her. We get an epic blood spray here. Yeah, we get that your typical Japanese <laughs> samurai film blood spray. I saw that and I was like, oh, I've been missing this. That's what I've been missing <laughs> from the other two. Right. And we get an awesome intercut where like we go back up and everyone's dancing at the party, mm-hmm. having a good time. And then it cuts down to Tatsuya 
And he's like raping the dead body at this point. Yeah, she's still chained up, so she's hanging there. And he is just covered in blood. He's covered in red. Yeah. But the scene is lit with a soft blue. Mm. And it's a really gorgeous image. You know, I mean, it's a horrible subject <laughs> yeah, matter. Very. But it's a really cool composition. And this is what I wish there was more of. Argento would have been proud. Yes. It's like, an, it's like a Mario Bava movie, mm. an Argento film. So I want to talk about Bava a little later. Okay. All right. Cool. Um,. And I'm digging this. Yeah. And it's almost like... And then we get a shot of him washing off. Yeah. And then he's just back at the party perfectly fine. He's got the old bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though I want to put a pin on one little thing for later. During the course of the cuts back to the dancing, for a little bit of time, Yumiko dances with her father. Yes. Which is pretty innocuous. Sure. But just put a pin in that for later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's, he's back at the party and he's talking to himself again. We hear his voiceover. He says he's got the perfect alibi for the night because mm-hmm. everyone saw him there. He's, you know. Yep. But then we cut to Seiko's body and it's dumped by a river. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a reporter in a newspaper. And he's reading about it. and He's so happy. He seems happy with his work. <laughs> like doing his dad proud. And, you know, this is a thing we should talk about. Um, this is actually based on a manga by Masaki Sato. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of his manga were in this vein. I don't think he did too much. But um, I think now at this part in the plot is where you can kind of see it was a manga originally. Because it gets almost episodic. Yeah. Where it's like he finds a new girl, becomes obsessed with her, abducts her, goes through the motions with her. And we see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like if it were a manga. That's like each chapter... As right. you're progressing through the story, yeah, and that leads to one of my one of my complaints about the movie. That I, th- I do think it's a hair too long, mm. or maybe I got used to the <laughs> you know 75 minute runtime from the other films. Yeah, but what uh, Rape Site was like what 70 minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah, all killer no filler. But yeah, this one's like 100 minutes, I think. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty beefy for a pink film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't overstay its welcome per se, but it just didn't feel as lean as the other two. Uh, yeah, but we meet our next uh, heroine. That he pursues <laughs> Kiyomi Nishizaki, played yeah. by Asami Ogawa, great actress, and she's giving a speech on TV. She's a high school student. She's a senior, mm-hmm. and she's talking about how people need to get uh, have confidence in the goodness of others, mm-hmm. and that they need to seek to rid themselves of their desire to kill and focus on peace yes. and goodness. And this just pisses Tatsuya yeah. the fuck off. He ain't having none of those. No. And he's, he immediately is like, well, why is she on such a high horse? I'm going to I'm gonna destroy her. <laughs> right. Um, we get a little aside here now where there's some cops that are introduced. Yeah. Um, they're, they've noticed the murder of Sayako. And they're like, oh, this is exactly like Genpei Hirokawa. He mm-hmm. got away. We never caught him. Yeah. He must be back in action. Right. He's still on the loose. So they want to kind of bring back that cold case and try to continue it. And then we do see Ginpei. Yep. And he is still kicking around. And he's still doing his thing. Yeah. Because he attacks a girl on a bicycle. Schoolgirl, mm-hmm. to be exact. Yeah. Um, and then we see him, he's reading about Tatsuya in the paper. He's staying in like a flop house. Yeah. Kind of yeah, place. there's like a bunch of other guys there. And he's looking at the picture, talking to this other guy about his kid. He knows that Tatsuya is his. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to Akita Senior High School for Girls. <laughs> and Tatsuya's plot begins to unfold. Mm-hmm. He pretends that he's a newspaper reporter. And he's like, oh, you know, our, our outlet saw your speech on TV. Yeah, uh, We've got this, you know, really famous person that wants to interview you. 
If you'll just come with me, I'll take you there. Don't get in cars with strangers, kids. You know, <laughs> yes. I mean, that's just... See, pink films teach you nice life lessons. <laughs> yeah, they get to uh, his I, here, house. Here's the fucked up thing about this. He picks her up right after school, right? Mm-hmm. They drive so long, it is the dead of night. Yeah, it's dark, yeah. they reach the manor. And she's like, okay with it yeah, this still. Is, this is fine, sure. Why not? <laughs> oh, you poor girl. Yeah. And we pretty much have a hard cut to her tied up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is almost like a... It's a little bit like a web. It reminded me of the, the elaborate ropes. Yeah. It's sort of the elaborate uh, Kenbaku-style roping, but um, it's a good metaphor, the like spider angle. Mm-hmm. And he says something about he's he brought her there to draw out her immorality. Now he says, I'm going to be your coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we get some very classic... Um, I think if you've seen any sort of like Japanese film that goes in this direction, um, he gets like the shearing scissors and like starts cutting up her clothes. Oh, sure. And stuff like that. Very fetishistic. Mm-hmm. But also here, the lighting is gorgeous. Mm, yeah. This is where it starts really looking, looking like a gothic horror film. So anytime we're in the basement... Mm-hmm. It becomes like almost a Mario Baba yep. lit type setting, which I really dig. Um, it We don't get a lot of it. It's just like here and there. I don't want to say these are the best scenes of the film because they're the worst moments of the film, but they, they kind of are the best scenes of the film. Like they're the visually. best shots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're gorgeous. Uh, now, I love that juxtaposition between the horrible act we're seeing, but the beautiful composition, you know, that, that's which isn't totally, that the whole point? Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally a giallo aesthetic, do you? Right. Right. You're seeing these horrible things, but oh man, it's, it's just so gorgeous. <laughs> um, and he's seeing all these horrible things to her. Oh, he's just like, it's pure, just degrading. She doesn't bathe often. Tells her like she that. stinks. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of acts like he's going to like really cut her and hurt her. And he, she sort of like is able to reel him back by agreeing to talk about when she first started masturbating. Yes. And he tells her to do it. Show mm-hmm. him. So she has to do this. And but he plays the video of her of speech, her speech yeah. to her while Whoa. she's doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is not. This cannot be an easy role for these women to play. No. I mean, it's just. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and we've seen, of course, in Western films too. Lots. Oh of, yeah. You know, plenty of films have treaded the same ground, but yeah. They definitely deserve to be immortalized for their performances. Absolutely. Um, and he drops a line here, too, that's like one of his mantras, which is, destroy their bodies, crush their spirits, ruin their hearts. Yeah. Now, that might be familiar to you. Where did that come from? Well, we get a flashback to learn where he picked up that little line from. Uh, when he was in high school, they had a little history class to learn about the cruelties of war and events like World War II. Mm-hmm. And the professor teaches them about Operation Night and Fog, which was the plan to annihilate Poland from the map. Yes. However, while everyone else is kind of like, oh, this is disturbing, Tatsy is leaning in on his desk oh, and yeah. smiling. He, he is gazing intently at all the images. The professor talks about how you know they made them more the Star of David. Mm-hmm. To mark them. And, yeah. and that's where we get that connection for the title of the film. Because right. he, he's really enamored with this idea of like marking the person. As, <laughs> yeah. I put a little thing in my notes here about, oh, nothing about Unit 731. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. I think there's something thematically important about that. But okay. um, but yeah, so after the class, he's walking home with a buddy. And his buddy is like, whoa, that was really intense, wasn't it? And he's like, yeah, it was great. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And then he's like, I don't, I don't know why you would be so into this, Tetsu. You, you, you always hated people with like power and abusing that and you know all that. And he says, there's something I hate more than power. It's the masses. Yeah, right. Um, and then in his little like narration of this flashback, he says that since that day, Night and Fog became his Bible. Mm-hmm. And he said, I had determined that I was cursed with life and I needed to get even. And we see him furiously masturbating the pictures of the yeah. concentration camps and things like that, too. But you know, this is just like every neo-Nazi, like, just a stage in their life. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> Being a fucking loser in the floor, jerking it. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to laugh at that part, but I did laugh because I was just like, man. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, just, it's the epitome of, yeah, I mean, how much lower can you go, you know? Also, props for them to, like, the smash cut to the page and then, like, the spurt just <laughs> hitting it. <laughs> All fluids in this movie are constantly, like, 500 PSI. Yes. They literally are probably like, hey, bring in the thing that did the blood spray for this scene. Uh, so then we go back to... Um, Kiyomi. Kiyomi. She's, she's just hanging around, you know? Yeah. She's um, just hanging around, literally. Yeah. She's starting to develop Stockholm Syndrome, though, because now the second he walks in, she's like, hey, I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. Just slow me down. Doesn't matter. Right. And we have a scene with him hanging out with Yumiko, and he tells her that he has a pet bird mm-hmm. that is pretty but won't obey him. Yeah. <laughs> but lately she's become friendlier. Mm. He thinks he's working out the, the problems. Yeah. And Yumiko says... She's kind of coming on to him. Yeah, she's very flirty with him. And she's like, uh, if, if I lived with you, I would obey you. And you could hit me if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but it's also funny, though, because she tells him that he's a little too gentle. She says, that's the problem. That's why you can't tame the bird is you're a little too gentle. <laughs> uh, so then we catch up with Genpei. <laughs> He is. He's uh, hitched a ride with a trucker. And I think this is where the Bunta Sugawara cameo is. Oh, okay. Which, he's like, is he the truck driver? Yeah, because okay. that ties into like in those other films that he directed, that was the was a comedy thing about a truck driver. So. Oh, okay. Um, it's funny because they're just like talking about women. It's yes. like very raunchy, but comedic. How you know the type of woman from her nose. <laughs> but it's obviously he's on the road and we get this sense that he is traveling toward Tatsuya. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's going to check in on his old, old flesh and blood. And then we meet our next heroine. Mm-hmm. She is Jun Yashioji, played by Natsuko Yashiro. And she is a famous pop idol. Yeah, they see her like out on the street. She's being swarmed by a bunch of people. And he gets knocked down at one point. Yeah, because everyone's so excited to see her that they just shove him aside. Yeah. And immediately he's just like... like fuck that woman. You're yeah. the one. Fuck her. Fuck yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, um, so then we get a little shot of him watching her performance on TV, kind of scoping out who is this person. And it's the, it's the very like sugary, sweet J-pop kind oh, of singer where yeah. it's just about love and happiness and da, da, da. And he drops some like harsh criticism. He says, um, as he's watching, he says, this is just a superficial piece. The TV is a collective hypnotic machine to produce flocks of sheep without the will to resist. Yeah. And then he that's he makes his decision. He says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna abduct her, and I'm gonna show her just what an animal she actually is." If I ever had like a new wave punk type band, <laughs> Collective Hypnotic Machine would be the name of this band. That would be an awesome name. 
Um, but, you know, that dungeon's pretty full. So he goes downstairs <laughs> to check on Kiyomi, and she is like 100% his slave now. He's yeah. like totally into it. Uh, she's trying to study for school, which is weird. Yeah. But, um, and this she, is the first time I noticed his like metal doors. Yeah. I don't know if they were seen before, but this is the first time I really noticed. Well, see, them. I think usually the angle we get is like from the stairs. Yeah, we the don't usually see them. And in this one, we get it from the back of the dungeon out. Yeah. So yeah, and they're like you know blast doors almost. Yeah. <laughs> like you could shelter down in there if there was a bombing or something. Right. But yeah, she's doing her homework. She says she's not good at math, so he starts showing her how to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. He's like really weirdly kind to her. Mm-hmm. And then she starts begging him for sex. Yeah. yeah. She says, you can treat me rough and then I'm your slave. <laughs> she has this banana that she's like sucking on. Yeah. And she says that she's a lecherous pig. <laughs> and she's doing this. And he asks if she wants to go home. And she says, no, I want to just stay with you. Yeah, don't make me leave. And so they hook up. He chokes her out. <laughs> More choking. It's interesting, too, because the way they smash cut it, he, we just see him dump another body. So it almost seems yeah, like he it's, kills it's her. like nighttime and he's taking her out of her trunk. She's back in her schoolgirl mm-hmm. uniform and he like drops her off like at the beach. Yeah. So you're like, is she dead? Holy shit. <laughs> and we really don't get a follow up on that at first. Yeah, it either. takes a while. Because then it goes right into his pursuit of June, mm-hmm. which um, we, we catch up with her. She's checking into a hotel. She's there for the night because whatever her next performance, this mm-hmm. and that. But, she has uh, her aide is with her. Yeah. Uh, Machiko. Machiko, yeah. Played by Yuka Asagiri. Mm-hmm. Who I really liked in this film. Yeah, she's good. And uh They're planning a secret rendezvous. Yeah. And Tatsuyu is Tats Tatsuya is Tatsuya. Tatsuya. That's what I said, Tatsuya. <laughs> oh, those Japanese names. <laughs> He's pretending to be the driver. Yep. Which the amount he had to research to like know the name of the guy, yeah, to then intercept this. But you know he's got the time, he's got the money. I could see oh, it. Yeah. He's probably bribing people left and right. He's basically like an evil Batman. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he's even got the the, the underground cave. Uh huh. It's like if Patrick Bateman was Batman. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> mm. Interesting. What else is going down that bat cave? Yeah, so um, June's a little more resourceful, though. So as they're on the way to the manor, she starts to realize they're going not where they thought they were. Mm-hmm. And they try to resist, but um, he pretty swiftly subdues both of them. Yeah, he's got chloroform or something. Knocks he just out. knocks Machiko the fuck out. Like, yeah, he, her. Does, he just decks her, yeah, <laughs> and then uses the uh, chloroform on June. And then we catch up with Kiyomi. Yeah, there's a radio broadcast. Yeah. She's not dead. She was found alive, wandering, and was returned to her parents successfully. And Yeah, the story is she said that she had to get away due to the stress of her exams. Yeah. So she just kind of ran away for a little while. Yeah, her story is basically just that she had like a panic attack and like flipped out. And, yeah. And which that's, is interesting. Is hearing this and just smiles. Yeah, because it means he's like totally warped her mind at this point. You know what this reminded me of? The Poughkeepsie tapes. Yeah. Yeah. The way that she started really identifying with the killer and mm-hmm. couldn't do anything without... You know, and that it lingered permission. even after yeah. she was freed. Yeah. Right. Which I guess, you know, it's a thing that happens. Thing that, yeah, it is a thing that happens, unfortunately. Um, and we still don't really know what's happened with June and Machiko because the next thing we get is Tatsuya out horse riding with Yumiko. Yes. Which I, I think to me that was kind of like part of his cover building. It seems like usually anytime he thinks he needs an alibi, he goes to hang out with Yumiko. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of blows over the situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's obvious that she wants to smooch and everything. Yeah, we get this know. intimate moment where... It's like where, a romantic riding scene. Yeah, they ride together, and she's like leaning into his back, and she asks what he thinks of her. And he says, well, you know I've always loved you. And then she just sort of tackles him and is like, oh, take me now. Yeah, yeah, let's do it now. Yeah. But he's obviously not up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says something about there might be something dark in her heart. Mm-hmm. And she rides away. Yeah, he kind of says it like, um, like I love you, but my heart's here. Like he can't give her his heart for some reason. Yeah. And, and she infers that that's like there's something holding him back. And she's like, well, there might be some darkness in my heart as well. Mm-hmm. Another little ominous yeah. like, uh, uh, breadcrumb there. What's going on there, huh? Meanwhile. Meanwhile, we catch back up with June and Machiko. And they're in cages. Yep. Like you do. Separate cages. Wondering how many days it's been. <laughs> Uh, Tatsuya comes down and taunts June with a magazine article that sh- says she disappeared with a lover because yep. no one knows what really happened to her. Well, yep, one of her concerts got canceled. Yeah, she's been dropped from the New Year's Eve show. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this pisses her right off. Oh, yeah. And he tries to get sort of uh, fresh with her a little bit, but she immediately shuts that shit down and she's like, if you rape me, I will bite my tongue and kill myself. Yeah. Full stop. So then he starts being nicer to Machiko. And yep. he pits them against each other. Yeah. He lets her out to go use the bathroom. He's like putting a robe on her. Tells her she's beautiful. Uh-huh. So <laughs> she could take a shower. <laughs> and if she's nice to him, she'll let it, uh, her live. He'll let her live. Yeah, he says, if you go along with me, I'll let you live. Mm-hmm. So then they go full force flower and snake mode on June, really like bind her up and force her to watch them having sex. Yes. But wouldn't you know it? Yumiko interrupts. She, she shows up at the front door wanting to visit. And again, he does this super smooth thing where he just like locks everything down in the basement, freshens up, yeah, it comes to the door. Yeah, he just puts on another face, you know, pretty much. And so they're just, you know, having a drink together. They're reminiscing about their childhood and all the fun they've had over the years. And she's like, oh, hey, can I see your pet bird? And he's like, no, um, I decided in the end to let it go and uh-huh. just let it back out into the wild where it belonged. And he says, I think that's what I want to do. I want to rehabilitate these birds and yeah. then let them go free back into the world. He says he's got two more, right? Yeah, he says, I've got two more now I'm working on. And then she's like, oh, well, have a nice day. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> she leaves and he just whoop, right back down to the dungeon. And June and uh, Majiko are having a conversation. And June's telling her that, she, remember, you're nothing more than my aid. Mm-hmm. You know, you're beneath me. You know, he's treating you nice, but you're not better than me. And you can see it in her. This is where I thought this was like, she's maybe the best actress of the bunch. The change in Machiko's face mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Like you can see like a switch has flipped. Oh yeah. And who knows how many years she's had to endure all this abuse from June and just being treated like crap. And she's just her little attendant. And everyone worships June. No one pays any attention to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tatsuya comes in with some food, but June throws it. So he whips her. And he starts <sighs> making her sing too. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he looks at Machiko and he's like, hey, you whip her now. Yeah, because she won't say that she's nothing but a dark pig. <laughs> That's yeah. what he wants her to say. She won't do it. So, yeah, he, he gives the whip to Machiko and says, you get her to say it. And she just starts going yeah. to town on her boss. You can just tell every, every like... Every slight, every, every slight, insult. everything. Yeah. She vents it all on her with that whip, man. Like, oof. Yep. And she has this great, like villain turn look to her where her hair kind of falls forward oh yeah and half her face one of her eyes is covered by the hair Mm -hmm. and there's just this cruel look on her face as she's just laying into her it was a really great visual yeah she looks pretty hot there too (laughs) (laughs) 
That's not just me, right? Hey, listen, there's no judgment on this show. So. <laughs> then we get another scene with the useless cops. Oh, but before that, though. What? Ultimately, June does break. And she, oh, she yeah. recites the line. She does. She does. Then we get the scene with the cops. Yep. And they're, they're kind of... The little subplot doesn't really go anywhere. No. It's kind of a waste of time. This this is where you could shore up this film, I think, a little bit. Yeah. But basically, they're they're chasing down Ginpei. Yeah, they found out about the flop house, but he's already gone. Yeah. So now they're trying to trace where he went to next. Yeah. yeah. Then we get an interesting scene. This is like one of the most interesting scenes of the film, I thought. Mm-hmm. We get a shot of just Tatsuya kind of wandering around the town. Yeah. And there's a bunch of schoolgirls milling about because they've been let out of school. And Kiyomi is there. Yeah, he notices Kiyomi. And she is just thriving. She's carefree. She's super happy. Her friends say that she is prettier mm-hmm. and better at math now since she got back from her trip. <laughs> and then her little group, they cross right past Tetsuya. Yeah. And we just get this freeze frame where she's going by and like smiles at him a little bit. Yeah. And then just walks on. Yep. Then we catch back up with June. and Who's eating from a bowl on the floor. Yep, like a dog. But there's a table down there now, and Tatsuya and Machiko are just having a normal dinner. Yeah, nice meal. Mm-hmm. And Machiko says that she wants to fuck in front of the pig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but while Tatsuya is distracted by this, June grabs a stool and whacks him in the back of the head with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she fucking bolts, dude. She almost makes it, too. <laughs> she almost makes it. She gets it. all the way outside. And he catches up to her. However, in that moment, Machiko also made a break for it. Yep. She don't make it too far either. She gets to the gate, and she gets out of the gate. And who does she run into but Genpei? Yep. And it's almost like he immediately understands what's going yeah, he on. He knows exactly what's going on, yeah. So he abducts her and brings her back in. Yep. And then it's funny because he calls the manor. <laughs> and he says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm Genpei Hirokawa. You probably know who I am. I'm your father. I found something of yours. I found something of yours. <laughs> I, I knew you would be just like me. It's in your blood. Yeah. And so Ginpei comes to the house with Machiko over his shoulder. And this did not go the way I thought it was going to go. No? No, because Ginpei like breaks down and starts fucking crying. Yeah, because he's feeding him and he's having you know some nice liquor and everything. And yeah, Ginpei's overcome with gratitude. Yeah, he's like, I, I thought I would come here and you might give me some scraps and send me on my way. And... Yeah, and he's like crying and everything, yeah. And we get this comical scene where he gives him like a room in the mansion to stay in. <laughs> he's and like, he's, like bouncing kid. on the bed. Yeah, and, yeah, he's like a kid. Um, but then, <laughs> but, but then he decides, you know what? I'm going to help you with your uh, mission here. The two begin to bond. Yeah, you know they got to make up for lost time, I guess. Father and sons have hobbies. You know, some go fishing. You know, some might go to sports events or whatever. But some go get a German Shepherd, <laughs> and chaos ensues. <laughs> And they might lather butter all over a woman's body and have the dog proceed mm-hmm. to, yes. And this is another one of those like pink film moments where they're very careful with the framing of the shots. We never see the dog lick anywhere that's like right too inappropriate. But even so, it's still this is the one scene I think that would cross the line. Yeah, this this is a lot. This yeah. is a whole lot. Um, yeah. It made me think about, like, so Black Emmanuel, that box that just came out. Mm. <laughs> if you're going through those, you're going to run into some uh, sketchy animal-related scenes. Emmanuel goes to America. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Beware of that. Be prepared for that if uh, you've never encountered such a moment in a film. You're going to be like, oh, oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. 
And I watched this one on my own. I spared Tiffany. I think that I think this is where she would have tapped out on this film. Probably. <laughs> is that where she draws a line? Probably. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, June's watching this, and it's obvious that she's just lost her shit yeah. at this point. She's completely broken. She's, she's like foaming at the mouth, going mad. But it, it's different than Kiyomi. Like Kiyomi submitted to the process. Yeah, this broke her. And, this and then her. June is like, she's just given up on life. Yeah, her, her mind is just snapped. Um, so ultimately, Tatsuya lets Genpei take a turn with Machiko. Mm-hmm. And he wants to choke her out. And he just lets her and lets him and they off her. Yep. But he has a special plan for June. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we get another scene with the cops after this. They find the, uh, Machiko's body dumped in the woods. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see them looking at the house, too, at one point. Yeah. Like they're kind of surveying the surrounding property. Well, it's because they know from the, the right. cases and stuff that he went in that house in the past. That's true. So they're kind of like, oh, could he be returning like to that. one of his old yeah. crime scenes? That's the last time we see the cops. Yeah, that is Their last subplot time. means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. You could cut the whole thing. It's yeah. what, if they would have made them like bumbling cops or something, maybe it would have been like... <laughs> like uh, uh, Last House on the Left? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they take June into the city and just like drop her off at like a major like thoroughfare area and she gets up on top of a building yeah. in her underwear. Yeah. And it's just singing and spinning around and And people are stopping and they're oh that's that's you know, it's June. Yeah. And she starts undressing and stripping. And all the women are crying out in horror. And all the guys are like, Hey, what's going on here? <laughs> hey, that's June. Whoa. And then Tetsu has a fucking sniper rifle. Yeah. And just shoots her. Yeah. And there's this weird scene that she's supposed to be falling, but of course they film it like there's like some weird projection going on mm-hmm. and she's just sort of like spitting around and it works because it's very lyrical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the look of it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Clever bit of uh, film work there. No. Yeah. So yeah, he just shoots her, which is kind of unusual for these kinds of movies, but Hey, mm-hmm. you know, unusual that he could get away with that too. But you know, again, this is again. the evil Batman yeah, so, right. <laughs> I'm sure he had already planned his getaway. <laughs> He's got a batarang with a cable on it. He just yeah. um, and here we get another flashback that kind of finally flushes out fully the formation of Tatsuya. Mm-hmm. And we learn that uh, we we see the scene of them going out on the boat. Yes, and it seemed like it was just a little like father son boating thing, but then Tatsuya reveals that he knew the storm was coming, and he brought him out there so he could finally confront him about the death of his mother. And his father's like begging him to like you know not go through with this, mm-hmm. and his, that's where his dad makes that declaration. He's like, "I believe that all men are originally good." Full stop. You don't have to be this kind of person if you don't want to. Um, and Tatsuya drops a little Bible verse on him. Apparently, mm-hmm. it was one that his father said a lot, which is um, it's from the Psalm of David. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From it did at the. Let me start that over. Okay, I, sure. I yeah. quoted my thing wrong. Um, but it's from the Psalm of David, and it's, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Mm-hmm. So, maybe you shouldn't have dropped that on your kid. Yeah. <laughs> before this time, but uh, but Tatsuya claims to him, he's like, I, We might both die in this storm, uh, but if I live, I'm going to go forward in my life and pick the path that I want to live. 
Yeah, he says he wants to be like his real father who had the balls to defy God. Yeah, which is a heavy thing to say. <laughs> and yeah, the professor gets swept overboard and drowns. Yep, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So Yumiko shows up. Mm-hmm. Well, he's having this little reverie, and he's wearing the fake beard and everything. Yep. Because he had just shot June. <laughs> Perfect disguise. But she's like, I would still recognize you no matter what mask you're wearing. Which kind of makes him hang, the use of that word, mask. Yeah. She wants to see... They're hanging out at his house. She wants to see the birds. But he's, he says... Well, she that, tells him, too, that she wanted to come over and stay for a while, and that she left a letter for her dad. Right. And she says, let's go anywhere you want to go. Yeah, yeah. And he says, well, there's a world I want to show you. It's my world. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, well, I want to I wanna be a part of your world. And then, yeah, yeah, she asks about the birds, and he says, well, they both died, unfortunately. <laughs> But now I've got one that's even more beautiful, and I'll never let that one die. Yeah, so he wants to show her the bird. Mm-hmm. Which turns out to be his dad in the cage. Yeah. And he picks her up and binds her. And before he does that to you, I'm sorry to keep... No, 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 please. This I'm is kidding. a good line, I thought. Yeah. Um, he's very fixated on the fact that she wears the crucifix. Yes. And we've had it kind of drip-fed through the film that she goes to church regularly. And once he starts to bind her, he tells her, which one will win? The God in you or the devil in me? Yeah. Yeah. And this is a really elaborate rigging he has here, too. It's yeah. Like cha- it's like pulleys and chains, and it's forcing her. She's like sitting in a baby carriage. She's weird. It's, yeah. it's funny, too, because that's been there the whole time, and it's been just like a background accessory. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so he starts to torture her for Genpei's amusement. Tells her that she's too pure, and he says, I'm going to give you your own little Star of David. Yeah. And then we uh, tread back a little into Flower and Snake territory as we get some, um, I'm going to say, excretion-related humiliation. Yeah, yeah, she has to use the bathroom, pleads to use the toilet. And even the dad's like, hey, let her go piss. What's the problem? (laughs) Yeah. He's like, what's wrong with you? Just let her go. But he won't do it. No. And, you know, so they had the, like, super sprayer uh, blood squirt and stuff and so they, they bring that out for one more little gag it's good for all sorts of fluids really yeah yeah this is fountain it just goes across the floor which is fucking insane yeah um so they you know he's continuing on with his torture and then Genpei's like hey let me tag me in tag me in <laughs> um, and I was kind of surprised that he he lets him go forward with that I don't know why. Really? It seemed like he was kind of putting Yumiko on this pedestal right. in a way where it's like that was his hmm. personal project sort of thing. Well, I mean, it could have been part of his plot because we do see what happens. Yeah. But like, um, she begins to pray mm-hmm. and Genpei doesn't like this. And we see like the light from the cross reflected in his face. He's like a vampire. Yeah, it's like it starts repulsing him. Yeah. So that whole gothic horror sensibility kind of comes back for a minute here. Mm-hmm. It, it made me think of, like, the Hammer Dracula films. Yeah, it's like if the Hammer films were, like... <laughs> <laughs> if you took the later Hammer films where they got pretty sexy... Yeah. And then backported that Co-produced into, Co-produced like, by the Japanese or yeah. something. And I know Hammer also had rougher cuts for the Japanese market. Like, there was more oh. blood in them. Like, in um, especially the horror of Dracula, you actually see more stake penetration. Ooh. Yeah, cool. that, that was not in the British or American cut. They made that solely for Japanese export. <laughs> Interesting. God love those gore harems. Um, but ultimately, Genpei soldiers on. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he doesn't give up. And this is an interesting scene, I thought, uh, not for the rape, of course, but as he starts to do that, we get Tatsuya's perspective. And he has a really weird look on his face as he's watching this. Yeah. And it made me think that, again, this is kind of the third recreation of that original inciting incident. Right. Because right? it's kind of implied that he's always had a thing for Yumiko. Mm-hmm. And then here's Genpei going at her, and he's watching. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like the same thing that happened to his mother playing out again. Which I think at one part in the film he even says, you're a lot like my mother. I think so. Yeah. But we see that Tatsuya is wearing that metal mask. Yeah, it's set there all film and looked fucking badass. Yeah. He finally dons it. And hangs his father. Yep. He like puts a rope around his neck and he's got another pulley and he just jerks it. And, and she sees him crying, tears coming from behind the mask. Mm-hmm. And she says that she loves him. And she says, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. And her cross falls to the floor, and so does the locket that he's been wearing this entire time. Mm-hmm. Which happens to have a picture of his mother. All trussed up. Kimbakued up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they proclaim their love for one another. And, and then they actually have like consensual romantic sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think this is the steamiest sex scene of all the films we've watched for this block. It is, but mm-hmm. because of the censorship, it's... <laughs> like, the, using, like, household items, like chairs or whatever, to block things, I get that. But, like, there's a scene where she is... In, she's filleting him, right? Mm-hmm. But she's, like... <laughs> well, they've actually done this several times in the film where it's like they cup it with their hands. Right. right yeah. So it looks like she's just like sucking an invisible dick or something. <laughs> I think my favorite one was they have this thing where it's like pulled back and you're like, you've got a piece of furniture in the way. And then as it pans up, they make it like camera blur just enough for the part where you would have seen the genitals before the camera raises up. Right. And then you can't see it anymore. Yeah. It's just so funny. <laughs> um. <laughs> So yeah, um, they have wonderful, actual romantic sex yeah. that was was not rape for once, finally. And the next morning, he wakes up and she's gone. Mm-hmm. But he but, finds a note. Yeah, she left a little letter. And here's where we get like the most insane plot drop. Yeah, it's out of nowhere. <laughs> um, so in this letter, she asks for his forgiveness and she states that in truth, I've actually already betrayed God long ago. And she says that when she was much younger... Her father guided her into having sex with him, and he's been using her all these years. Mm-hmm. So that's why I put the pin in them dancing, because right. knowing that when you go back and watch it, you can tell there's a weird chemistry between them in that moment. Yeah, I mean, there definitely isn't really enough foreshadowing of this. It does mm-hmm. kind of come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I think so, but yeah, that's the one spot where it's like, once you know it, you can see it, but you yeah. can't really see it the first time through. Right. Uh, she reveals that she always wanted to marry Tatsuya, that he was the love of her life. Uh, but she knew that she would never be able to be with him because of her father. Mm-hmm. And she says, in truth, she's always had the Star of David, and it's been this burden that was put on her by her father. Yep. And she says that you can tell the cops that, you know, Gimpei attacked me and I killed him mm-hmm. and then killed myself. Yep. That way you're free of everything and they won't be blamed for anything. And he goes down to the basement. And she has hanged herself. Mm-hmm. And then we get this weird coda. Oh, and there's like the... Is it part of the coda or is it right before it? It's, it's that line. I wrote down the line. I forgot to write the context. Mm-hmm. Um, 
As long as we hate God, he who keeps silent, he will continue living in our minds. I think it's then. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we get this coda, which it's a hard line to unpack, but yeah. Uh, we get this coda where Tatsi is just kind of chilling on the manor estate. He kept the German Shepherd. <laughs> I guess you gotta have some friends. Sure, sure. Um, but he hallucinates <laughs> that he sees a, a young child, Yumiko, and he kind of chases off after her through the garden. Yeah. And, and he's, he's trying to find yeah. her, and she comes up from behind the bushes, and she's wearing that metal mask. Mm-hmm. And takes it off. But then it becomes every woman that he has subjugated and killed throughout yep. the movie. It kind of morphs through each one of them. And they're all, like, heavily made up, too. Mm-hmm. They're very, like, uh, divine, almost, you would say. Kind of their looks. Their... The actress divine? No, no, no. Oh. Like, like <laughs> they, have, they have a glow. I mean, they have a lot of eyeshadow, but they have it wasn't a, that crazy. They have an angelic glow to them, Oh, okay. I would say. They do, they do. But yeah, and then we cut, and he's discarded the iron mask into the ocean. He's mm-hmm. thrown it away. And he's sitting there, and he's kind of got his hand, like, bracing his head as if he's in defeat, almost. Yeah. And we get a little, like, final line that appears on the screen. Which says, again, this is a Bible verse, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Yeah, I'm still not exactly sure what that means. Hmm. At least in context with to the movie. Okay. But yeah, that, that is the end of the film. It ends kind of artsy-fartsy. Yeah, very, very abstract. But I mean, the whole movie is fairly artistic. I mean, it's it's well made. It's well shot. Well, here, let me give you the full passage that it's from. Okay, it's um, it's uh, Psalm 121. And so the full passage is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Okay. So, what do you think? What was your inference of this ending as a whole? Let's start there. It's very, it is very abstract. I I think he might actually be feeling some remorse Mm -hmm. to some degree. So, I think the setup is in his challenge to her, which is who is going to win, the God in you or the devil in me. And I think in this final sort of very twisted reveal and act of her, she sort of broke his predilection on this whole like weird Nazi ideology thing he's obsessed yeah, with. Yeah, he was actually able to have a real physical relationship with her without, you know, subjugating her mm-hmm. and actually experience real love, I guess. And and to me, the implication was he has this remorse now and and is probably going to choose a different path in life. I hope so. <laughs> now, does he deserve to? That's a different question. Well, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about Christian theology, everyone can be forgiven. True. But... Crimes on Earth, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a movie. It was quite the movie. <laughs> you got any fun notes or anything to lay on us? Oh, there's not a lot of good history out there about it. Yeah, and, I couldn't find a lot either. Um, so I want to talk about a few general things before we get into like our final thoughts. So uh, I want to talk about some tonal film connections that this links up with. Mm-hmm. Um, some, so some I thought of that were like, there's so either like visually similarities or, or plot concept similarities. Um, so from Mario Bava, I wanted to mention uh, hatchet for the honeymoon mm-hmm. that you've got all those same elements of like the big Gothic manor and again, like the family secret and right, all right. of that going on, uh, in the folds of the flesh by Sergio Bergonzelli. Mm-hmm. 
uh, kind of in that same vein, yeah. same setup. Um, and then in the realm of just these Nakatsu films, there's actually another Roman porno that had this sort of World War II, like Nazi ideology focus with Fairy in a Cage, which we had mentioned before. Oh, yes. Uh, from 77, directed by O'Hara from Zoom Up Rape Site. And that starred Naomi Tani, who we saw in Flower and Snake. Okay. But there was one film I really wanted to focus on a ton because it's a very uh, popular one for me. And that is by Emilio Maraglia, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave. Okay, yeah, that's one I still have not watched. So this one has a ton of, like, I guess, if you wanted to, like, this would be a great double feature with this film, I think, because it has the same setup of, like, uh, it, it does, like, veer way more into Gialli, but you've got this main character, he's got something weird psychologically going on in his head, and after his wife dies, he starts abducting these women, taking them back to his big gothic manor estate, and he has this, like, secret dungeon where he sort of whips and tortures them. Mm-hmm. It's really a lot of the same, like, setup and hook. Okay. It's just where this one just, like, veers full tilt into the, like, erotic torture thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evelyn veers into being, like, a giallo thing, where actually there's some sort of secret plot going on behind his back. Okay. See, this, this movie also reminded me of something else I'd watched and mentioned before, and that's Bloody Pit of Horror. Oh, yep. From 65, because those gothic touches that it had reminded me so much of this because it's a, it's an Italian film Mm -hmm. and it's about a man who is torturing models. Yeah. Of course it's in a much campier vein. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's true. Um, but I got hints of that. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of wondered if the director had maybe seen that and it was a little bit inspired by it. Had to have. Um, so I want to talk about like themes maybe and like commentaries that this film makes. I think there's a few things it touches on. Um, one of the obvious ones is sort of like the excess of wealth and how that can corrupt people. Sure. Uh, clearly part of the reason that Tetsu even goes down this road is that he's so filthy stinking rich. He's able to, yeah. There's no way he can be stopped Mm -hmm. because he just has so much money he can throw at everything. Right. Um, Obviously, there's it's, totally... it's almost like rich people get away with crimes for like years and years. Yeah, it's almost like even in '79 we knew this, and now it's no better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, there's some commentary about the whole like subculture of idolizing Nazi Nazism, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, never a good path. To never go a good there. path to take. As this, film if, if you us. find yourself sympathizing with the Nazis, you're on the wrong <laughs> side. I'm sorry. Um and. Apparently some reviews and like commentaries on the film have talked about this, and I, I you touched on it very early on. I think at least part of the film, there's supposed to be this theme about the complacency of Japan. And mm. when I talk about that, I mean like with regard to like atrocities that have happened during war and stuff, because what you brought up, Unit 731, that's never even mentioned in the film, nor focused on... I'm sure the populace didn't really even know about Unit yeah. 731. And there's no way in hell the government was going to tell them about it. And for those of you who don't know, it was basically the Japanese, one of the Japanese camps where they had largely Chinese soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was pretty much their version of a concentration camp. Yeah. All, so many horrible things happened there. Um, if you have the well, stuff well, Jason, for it. Jason, it was all for science. Um, you yeah. Know, they right. had the answer to the big questions. Like if I saw two kids in half and stitched them together... Can they get up and walk around? Right, sure. You know? These things need to be known. Uh, if you have the guts for it, the, the um, Constitution, you can watch um, Man Behind the Sun. Yeah, Men Behind the Sun. Yeah, which yeah. is all about Unit 731. Um, very extreme. Yeah, on the it's extreme very scale. extreme. Yeah. It's like 
pretty much as far as it gets. As also, as live gets. animal deaths, yeah. allegedly. They, they deny it, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> their effects know. weren't that good. Yeah. And they use real cadavers for scenes. It's... Mm. it's um, but it's yeah. Rough but powerful. Right. Um, and I feel like it's, it's, it's weird because it's coming from the villain, but he touches on that a little bit when he's uh, commenting on June. Right? He's like, oh, this pop star, this, this fake world that we're creating, that everything's good and nice and fine. Right. And there's... Nothing bad going on in the world. That hypnosis for the masses or whatever. Uh, we're, we're hypnotizing <laughs> ourselves. We're denying the fact that we're all animals. We're all these beasts that can just do terrible things. Yeah. Um, but I don't think... I think that's a compelling idea, but I don't think this film like pushes No, it, it, does, it doesn't it. really explore that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the faults of the movie is that it doesn't... There's not really a really good overarching theme, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think you would have had to have had a less ambiguous ending. Which yeah. it, it tears me on it because I like that it's ambiguous. Sure. But but again, like I think if you make it ambiguous, then you're losing some of like the tie up of the themes mm-hmm. a little bit. So Yeah, it never really follows like the whole Nazi infatuation and yeah, the whole um pop idol sensation thing. Like it touches on these things and starts to explore, but then it just sort of deviates and does something else. Mm-hmm. So But again so it's, it's like but again it's like we know why that happened, right? This is a Roman porno. Yeah, right. He's he's got like a number to meet and yeah. criteria to right. check off. So Right. So to <laughs> me this movie doesn't succeed as well as the previous two we've talked about. I would agree. Yeah. Because Zoom Up just had a great story. That works that could work without the whole Pinku mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. You know. Um and Flower and Snake was pretty funny. <laughs> Surprisingly it, it, so. It works as a dark comedy, really. Yeah. With some naughty stuff in it. This is pretty much all naughty stuff. Mm-hmm. It's well done. It's well acted. It looks great. But it just doesn't... It, it, it's starting to feel more like it's all about the sex. Yeah. And not more about the story. Which that's... I, I don't know. Is that like criticizing a porno for having too much sex in it? You know, I mean... <laughs> isn't that the point? It's supposed to be these sadomasochistic, you know. Um, well, again, I'll, I said it for Flower and Snake, and I'll say it for this one. A lot of these scenes I didn't really find too titillating. No. Um, again, I, I think that the actual, like, final scene where they make love and don't just right, right, have right. weird, torturous sex. Yeah. I thought that was pretty steamy, but... Sure. And I'm not going to... You know, if people watch this and that's their kink, cool. You know, I'm oh, not going yeah, yeah, to shame sure. that at all. Um, but, right. Yeah, same here. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, you're thinking, am, it's I, like su- in, am I supposed to be aroused? Because I mean, it's like in Flower and Snake, right? It's not about the sex. It's about the the humiliation. Yeah. But then here, it's like it's trying to do both almost a little bit. Right. Right. Which then makes yeah. you feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, where'd you fall on this one? This, you picked it. It was a blind watch. It I was know. a blind watch, yes. Um... I did like it overall. Like I never, I never lost interest in it. Um, I really kind of wished it veered more into those gothic. Like I always yeah. kind of wondered if those were the peaks. Yeah, when we get the cool lighting, if that's like part of his fantasy mm-hmm. version of what's going on, you know, and it's kind of heightened and surreal. Um, it doesn't really explore that. So that doesn't really come into play. That I, I wish there was a bit more of that. Um, For sure. <sighs> to me, this is pretty average overall. I got to fall at two and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's really only because I just felt like at the end of the day, I don't know what this movie's trying to say. 
Okay. I mean, maybe I'm just missing it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just doesn't seem to have as much of a purpose as the other two. Okay. I can uh, unless, the, that. unless the purpose is like exploitation, <laughs> in which case it does a pretty good job of that. Oh yeah. But definitely a if you're talking just exploitation, definitely memorable. I would say. Mm-hmm. And you know, two and a half is a fair rating. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. a bad movie. I'm not saying it's a great movie. I am glad I watched it. Mm-hmm. Do I need to watch it again? Probably not. How about you? What do you think? Okay, so when they reissue the the disc, they can put on their. Uh, I fucking hate this movie, Jason, genre exposure. <laughs> no, they can't put that on there. <laughs> oh, I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I really liked it a lot. Again, I think like thematically it was kind of like blending elements from the other two films we covered. So again, that's like, we talk about this all the time. We end up with weird like relations and through lines when we pick yeah, up Yeah, weird synchronicities that, that we don't we don't plan for, which is always interesting. Uh, like you said, I love all the gothic elements and tones that were used in this. I wish there yeah, was more. Yeah. I think when you lean more into that, and then if you tie up the ending, then it becomes like a great film, like legendary, like best of all. Um, but they didn't, so it is what it is. But yeah, just the, the decrepit, decaying mansion and how that's almost a metaphor for his mental state. And sure. We, we've got the secret torture dungeon where he's hiding all his deep, dark feelings. It, it, it's almost Poe-esque sometimes. He's got yeah. that family legacy that's bearing down on him, both, yeah. both the like genetic legacy of Ginpei being this rampant rapist killer, right. but then also the abuse and the dysfunctional family with the professor. Right. So that's all really cool. Liked a lot of the films that it felt like it was referencing again. The fact that it was leaning into like some Italian Gothic and mm-hmm. Gialli esque concepts. Um, all the acting is super on point, really amazing, great yeah. performances. I agree with that. Like, and especially all our uh, leading ladies that he <laughs> destroys across mm-hmm. the film. Um, they just give impeccable performances that I'm sure many people could never muster nope. the energy to do. Um, I like a lot of the themes that I talked about. It leans on this idea of the excess of wealth, the complacency of a nation, the 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 ills of idolizing certain ideologies. But but again, like you, I don't think they ever push to the point where that's like there's a big resounding like this is my thesis statement right. conclusion. Right. Um, I like the ambiguous ending, but again, it's also in a way a part of the problem from everything else gelling together. Mm-hmm. So so it is what it is, and I I came down on three and a half. That's where I am. Wow, okay. All right. Well, what did you give Flower and Snake? I gave it three. Really? So you enjoyed this one than Flower and Snake? In a different way, but yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. See, I was I was, I was, judging mine by my reaction to them. Because like, mm-hmm. I really liked Zoom Up. Mm-hmm. Great movie. And I liked Flower and Snake a little bit less, but still liked it. I think I gave it three stars, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. Because it made me laugh. <laughs> But I enjoyed this a little bit less, so I got to give it two and a half. I think there's a lot of things that are compelling about this where I, I don't know how much I'll even watch this again, but if I watched it again, I feel like there's certain parts and certain ideas that I would be like reaching to try to look for, mm-hmm. which maybe aren't there. Maybe I'm just projecting into it, but um, like Flower and Snake, I would probably watch again more readily, but it would really just be to put it on for like a yuck. Yeah. And um, you know, I like films with like depth and like weirdness that you can like sure. drift into. So yeah. yeah. Uh, there's there's a little more potential here for me than okay. Flower and Snake. Cool. I mean, yeah, it's not a bad movie by any means, so I don't disagree with your evaluation completely. Mm-hmm. There you go. The genre exposure summer of love <laughs> with our Roman porno Nakatsu extravaganza has yeah. come to a triumphant end. These have been a few interesting films, haven't they? They have been. And I want to thank all of you listeners for coming along <laughs> on this ride. If you're still with us... 
Um, you're awesome. Yeah, we appreciate it. Definitely branch out. If, if you're going to lean into any of these to watch, I think Zoom Up Rape Site's the one to go with. Yeah, especially if you're a thriller, mm-hmm. you know, Hitchcock or Gentle type. It's, it's such an easy watch. Yeah. And it's really good. Again, if like the S&M angle like squicks you out any at all, it's got none of that. But that also serves the purpose of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a point in that yeah. movie. Um, and yeah. And the thing is, is we've barely scratched the surface with this, oh, so we God. could easily come back to these again in the future. There's so many more subgenres and styles and types. Uh, a lot of airs leaned more on the like horror-esque end, which again, that's just us kind of injecting our sure. in personal interests. But I mean, there's Roman pornos are just like straight up like raunchy comedies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, lots more to mind here if you want to, and maybe we will one day. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what the popular demand um, is. I, I will say, after uh, Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunter, I am ready for a break from these for a little bit. Um, Agreed. I, I was like, yeah, I enjoyed this. This was interesting. Oh, I'm ready for just like a, well, a normal normal film. Well, you know, the holy time is coming upon us. It is. We are close to October. Yes. The Halloween times. So we, I, I think our movies are going to be becoming a little bit more palatable. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the show, you know we always try to go big in October and do a bunch of extra episodes. Yeah. And so we're just going to go ahead and lean into that, because next up we've got one more episode before October hits, and it's a listener episode. So we dove in and looked for some nice horror films to dig into, and we picked up a newer one that I really want to get into. I yeah. Think. We were intrigued by the trailer. So for next time, we are going to be checking out Ten and Tina, directed by Ruben Stein. This is a new director. This is the first feature. Um, I'll hit you with the synopsis just to orient you a little bit. So, after a traumatic miscarriage, Lola and her husband Adolfo adopt Tin and Tina, a lovely albino brother and sister with an ultra-Catholic education that makes them lean into interpreting the Holy Bible verbatim. I love that this is our lighter fare after the movies we've been watching. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we got a bit of a religious horror, a bit of the whole like weird kids angle going on. Yeah. So it's um, a good time. I'm anxious. It's streaming on Netflix. Very easy to get at. Nice. I think it's going to be interesting. I was intrigued by the trailer. I don't know much about it. It looks Me like either. it kind of has a, um, um, what is it? Good night, mommy. Yeah. Kind of vibe to it almost, but we'll see. Mm. Which I mean, I know how much you love killer kid movies, so. I do. I do. Yeah. Near and, and dear to my heart. I don't know if they're killer kids. They got a knife on the poster, so probably... They look like they're killer kids to me. They yeah. got that Village of the Damned look about them. <laughs> they do. Especially with the uh, the albino angle, too. That's, yeah. I'm sure that's a callback to oh, that. It's, it's gotta be. Um, but we'll get into that next time. So nice. look out for that, and then that'll lead us right into our horror escapades for Ooh, October. I can't wait. Whenever we do Jason's the Mastermind this time. So we'll see, <laughs> we'll see where he guides our hand. Yes. Um, but all that said... What have you been watching? What have you been checking out? We always love to hear what you're getting into, what you find is cool, what you find is interesting. We can't watch everything, so it's always helpful to have our lovely listeners give us a little signpost on what's worth checking out. And of course, again, every time we finish a block, we will pull one of our listener-suggested episodes and check it out. So if there's a film that you champion, that you love, or you listen to a block and you're like, man, I really wish they would have touched on this film, send it our way. We'll add it to the list. Yeah. It's good to have a variety. We'll get into it at some point. We've discovered so many good movies through listeners' we have, suggestions. I say it every time, but pound for pound, our listeners have better taste than we do. Oh, yeah. I've loved every listener episode. Um, 
You can Good hit stuff. us up on Facebook. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can hit us up on... I'm, you know what? You can hit us up on Twitter, man. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck this X shit. Fuck this X shit. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a phase, and I thought he would go back, and apparently it's not. And it's just... It's so dumb. Whatever. It's Twitter, man. It's You send tweets. It's you, Twitter. You buy all this money for a brand name <laughs> recognition and then change the brand name. It's just like Max. It, it, it's HBO, dude. It's, yeah, what the fuck? It's not, it's not happening. Ugh. All right, whatever. To, to quote a personal favorite uh, mainstream movie of mine, quit trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <sighs> nice. All right, well, I'm looking forward to it. Some horror films coming up. Yes, most excellent times. Oh, yeah, and you can email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Yeah, please do. Pretty silent on the old email zone. Nobody days, emails anymore. Yeah. But if you'd like to send us a missive with your, your <laughs> long and detailed thoughts about something, yes. that is the ideal place to do it. Put quill to parchment and mail it to us. Or that, yes. Um, so all that said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everybody. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening